Welcome to a new episode on Hamburger Generation Jilil Hamburger. Today's episode is gonna be a little bit different. We hosted a wonderful storytelling and Ramadan event earlier in the month and we had many storytellers come on stage to share their personal experiences. On this episode, we want to showcase a few of these beautiful stories to you. Enjoy! start with introducing myself. My name is Najwa. I'm Syrian. My dad is Syrian. My mother's Palestinian. I was born in Damascus, but I was raised in the United States. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it was a very conservative, conservative Arabic, Arab family. So we grew up conservative Muslim and conservative like Arab. So in my house, it was Damascus. Outside of my house, was the United States. So just to give you guys a background. So because I was raised um, this conservatively, we had to find loopholes, how to kind of get around my scheduled curfew of 7 p.m., right? So I was 18 years old. The year was 1998. I was still a senior in high school. And I got a job as a banquet waitress. Now the best thing about this job was it was on the weekend and my shifts ended between midnight and two in the morning. And I couldn't get phone calls. So my mom couldn't call work. It was perfect. Now the thing is, is that there were times where I didn't have any shifts. So when I didn't have shifts, I went out with my friends. So this one weekend, didn't have any shifts. So I got my two girlfriends, Amber and Allison, and we're like, yeah, we're hanging out. Now we weren't party girls. We were the girls that liked to eat. So we wanted to go out to dinner, like to Applebee's or something. Now the thing is, is that I was broke and I wasn't getting paid for another two weeks. I had $10 in my bank account, but I really wanted to go out to dinner. So I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm just gonna go out and then when the bill comes, I'm gonna just look over to Amber and ask her, you know, if she can cover me, normal. We head to Applebee's and I order a very small plate because I know I'm not paying for my food, like I'm not rude. So the bill comes, right? So the bill comes and I look over at Amber, like, can you cover me? And she looks at me and she's like, no, I was gonna ask Allison to cover me. And uh, we, we both look at Allie, at Allison, and Allison's like, no, I'm broke too. Like, I don't have money to cover a $40 bill, right? So we're sitting there, we're panicking. Between the three of us, we're broke and we don't have $40 to cover our dinner bill. So I go into, I go into criminal mind mode, I got this. So I look at the girls and I say, you know what, you guys walk out of the restaurant and pull the car off to the side, because not in front of the restaurant, we're not dumb criminals, it's gotta be to the side. But you guys go, and I got this. And they're like, okay. So they walk out the door, and I stay behind. Now back then, you guys, 1998, we had checkbooks that we still wrote out to retailers. Now this checkbook had your first and last name, it had your address, and it had your phone number, okay? So I was like, I'm smart, I got this. So I wrote out the check, and I rip off the bottom account number, right? And then of course my information. And I put it in my purse, and I put the check like in the bill holder. And I'm looking around, and I get the waitress's attention, and I kind of did do the, like, the, the waving of the bill thing. She gives me a thumbs up, 
put it down, and I walk out very calmly. I look to the left, I look to the right, I see the car, I'm running, I hop in the car, we drive off, we're screaming, we're yelling, oh my God, we can't believe we just got away with it. We found another loophole. You guys, we know how to eat for free. We are excited, okay? <laughs> the next day, no shift. Guess what we decide to do? We're gonna go to dinner, right? But now we know we're not paying. So we go to Champs, each of us gets an appetizer, we're getting main courses, we're getting like the fruity mocktails, we're getting a dessert, this one's having steak, this one's got shrimp, I've got like, you know, like my pasta, and we're just, we're feasting like kings, we're enjoying ourselves, we know we're not paying for this outrageous bill. Sure enough, the bill comes. Now, each of you girls know what to do, take positions, right? We got this, we've done this. It's not our first rodeo. Amber and Allison go out, bring the car off to the side. I stay back, but this time I'm nervous because now it's intentional. It wasn't like, you know, forced, it's intentional, but I get my nerves together, I write out the check, I tear off the account number on the bottom, I tear off my information, put it in my purse, and I'm just hurrying outside. Like, I just can't wait to get out of this restaurant. I look to the left, to the right, I see the car, I'm running, we hop in, we got away with it again. Like, we're, we're at this point, like, we're unstoppable. Like, we, we got this, we're doing, the, we're doing this every weekend. Okay, so then they drop me off at home. And this is about midnight. Of course, mama's waiting for me, because, you know, girl. And uh, yeah, it's late. So I walk into the house, and my mom is like, how was work? It was good. And she's like, oh, okay. So I go to the room, to my bedroom, and I'm getting ready for bed. The phone rings. No one's calling an Arab household after midnight. So now I'm concerned. So I'm kind of listening. And mama's talking English. Mama doesn't talk English, you guys. <laughs> she doesn't. And all I hear is, mm-hmm. Are you sure it's her? And I'm just like, shit. So I run to the kitchen. I pick up the receiver. And I hear a man on the other side saying, they can identify her. She has two gold bangles, like a typical Arab girl that I have my gold bangle, gold bangle bracelets on. So I hang up the phone, I rush back to my room. You guys, I'm like, I'm fighting for my life. I'm like pulling off these bangles that I've had since I was 12 years old because this is how they're identifying me now. So my mom walks in and she's got the phone and she's looking at me and I'm sitting there like this. And then I go, oh, I always take off my bracelets before I go to bed. <laughs> Like, that was the only thing I could come up with. And she just says, come get her. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. She hangs up the phone. This woman charges at me, okay? Mama's strong, let me tell you. I found out that night. She drags me outside of, like, my bedroom, and she's swinging me around like a rag doll, screaming in Arabic, you're stealing food. I can't believe my daughter is hungry enough to steal food. Now, my sisters are up, my brother woke up, the whole family knows that I've stolen food. Thank God the police showed up at my house, let me tell you. I've never been so happy. Policeman walks in and um, he says, you know, we gotta take her down to the restaurant, we gotta, she's gotta pay her bill. 
and she's got to apologize to the waitress. So my brother gives me the money for this bill. I mean, I didn't snitch on my friends, right? Because I'm not a snitch. No. So I was like, no, it was all me. So I get in, uh, in the back of the cop car, and I go and I pay my bill, and I apologize to this waitress. Now, on our way back, I'm thinking, how did they trace it back to me, right? Like, I did everything correct. So as we walked back into the house, the policeman is talking to my mother, and my mother's staring at me, right? She's not hearing the guy. And he says, we can get, because she's 18, right? We can get her on check fraud. She spends a night in jail. And she will never be able to open up a bank account for like, I think the next, I don't know, X amount of years. So as I'm looking at the policeman and I ask him, I said, but how did you guys know it was me? And he said, oh, well, you know your information that you ripped off? That fell on the floor. That had my first and last name, my address, and my phone number. And then my mom's just looking at me. And I'm looking at the police officer and I'm kind of edging towards him. Because now I want to go with the police guy. I'm like, you know, I've accepted it. Like, I, I, I will accept the consequences of my actions. Because jail sounds a whole lot better than mama. She's just staring. And then he kind of catches the vibe, right? And then he looks at my mom and he goes, you know what, ma'am? I think you've got this under control. I'm going to leave your daughter under your custody. And I'm like, no, sir. Please, no. Walks out of my house. And my mom beat my ass, basically. Okay? Until this day, till this day, I do not go out to dinner. I'm a grown woman, by the way. Okay? I've got three children. I do not go out to dinner without checking my bank account. Thank you. So just to, before I start the story, I'm going to give you a backstory, okay? So the backstory is my parents, when they got married, they got married in a very traditional way, okay? So my dad and mom didn't really know each other. Um, my dad came from a, a good family, and my, my grandmother, my mother's mother, kind of pressured my mom into marrying my dad. She kind of said, you know what? He's from a good family. You should marry him. His brothers and sisters are so kind. He's obviously going to be a very good guy. So that's just the backstory, yeah? This grandmother, she died when I was one, Okay? Now, when I'm five years old, we lived in a, in a small town in the UK called Great Yarmouth, okay? It was 30 minutes away from a city called Norwich, where we used to go a lot. So one day, I used to wear glasses. I, was, I had bad eyesight as a kid. I used to wear glasses. And every day, my routine would be, as soon as I wake up, I put my glasses on. It was an automatic thing. It wasn't like a, it was always on my bedside table, okay? So one day, I wake up. Uh, we're going to a gathering in Norwich. It's half an hour away. I'm reaching for my glasses, they're not there. I'm five years old, and every day my mom would check if my glasses are on. That day she didn't check, and that day I looked for them, I couldn't find them, whatever. We get in the car, we go to Norwich, and we're at a gathering. And I have a twin sister, okay? My twin sister is, uh, I'm, I'm chasing her, we're playing together, I'm running after her, okay? In a really long corridor, and every 10 meters in this corridor, there's a swinging door. Now these doors, um, basically whenever you push them, they come flying back, and they're really heavy. So my, I'm chasing my sister, and I, she pushes the door, and it comes swinging at me, and it hits me in the face. And it hurt, it hurt, it's really, really bad injury in my eye. Thankfully, nothing happened. I was bruised, but nothing terminal or serious or anything. We get home that night, and my glasses are on my side table. So my mom says, but your glasses are here. I'm like, they weren't here before. 
we let that slide, okay? Next morning, my mom is at work, okay? She worked in, a, she shared an office with a woman called Barbara. Now, Barbara um, was a bit weird. I remember how she looked. She was a very tall, pale woman, very scary looking. Uh, they shared an office and they kind of sat back to back. So, Barbara out of nowhere goes, I hope Shadi's eye is okay. So my mom says, I, how do you know about Shadi's eye? Does, you weren't there. This isn't, guys, this is a time before Instagram, Facebook. There was no selfies with a bruised eye, like, hey, hashtag injury, none of that, okay? So she goes, um, yeah, um, how did you know about Shadi's eye? She goes, do not panic, but I have a message for you. You guys see where this is going, right? And she's like, what's the message? She's like, your mother says that she's really proud of you and she's very protective over you and your kids, okay? So my mom freaks out a bit, but my mom's a very skeptical, she's a, she's a very um, educational person. She's like, what, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, your mother hid Shadi's glasses because if that door had swung at his eye, he would probably be blind, okay? This is just the woman that works with my mom. It's a very weird story, everyone. So my mom's very skeptical, she's like, I have no, like, come on, like, like, that's not true, whatever. She's like, okay, how can I prove it to you? She's like, I don't know, but just like, she's like, okay, I'm gonna tell you something now to help you confirm that what I'm saying is true. She's like, okay. She's like, your brother right now is sitting with his sister-in-law. Her name is Amal. She lives in a house, and then she started describing this house in a city called Tanta. Tanta is population, okay, you know it. It's a big city, but nobody in Great Yarmouth, UK, or Norwich will know what the hell Tanta is in the 90s, okay? She's, he's sitting there and he's eating, I don't know how to explain the word, he's eating this, this, this grain and it's in this milk. I don't know what it's called. And then my mom freaks out a bit, but she's like, okay, I'm still gonna try to confirm this story. So she runs, this is not, guys, this is in the 90s, you don't pick up a phone and call someone. She had to go and call the house at 7 p.m. so that her brother is already there. And she's like, where were you today? And he's like, I was at Amal's house. And she was like, what were you eating? And he's like, why? She's like, what the hell were you eating? He's like, I was eating belila. Belila is an Egyptian thing, which is basically what the woman described, which is grain in milk, okay? At this point, obviously, my mom freaked the hell out. Um, and then over the next few weeks, uh, she'd start coming to her saying really weird stuff. So she'd be like, I have a message for you. That was like her, her freaking quote now of the day. Every morning, like, hi, good morning. I have a message for you. And one, what really freaked my mom out is obviously the messages were very specific to my mother. So like, one of the messages was that my grandmother, she really, um, re uh, what the hell's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> She <laughs> regrets, that's the word, I lost my English. She really regrets pressuring you to marry this man. And she's like, I know that because I thought he was a good person because he came from a good family, but I think I wasn't right. So my mom was like, okay. And then she started saying really specific things about my mom. Like she'd be like, my mom was, ha she was doing a PhD and she had very young twins. She had a very difficult life. Um, so she'd say something like, you know, I have a message for you. Your mom is just saying to push through, it's tough times. Uh, my mom discovered she had dyslexia. She's like, I know you have dyslexia. It's just really specific shit. I'm sorry. Like, but this is, so it got really weird. And every time my mom would lose a bit of faith, she'd go like, no, 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 you need to prove something to me. She'd start doing things like describing what her mother looks like, or she'd call her Emmy. Like nobody in the world except her mother called her Emmy. She'd like Emmy said this, and it's a freaking horror movie, basically. And then one day she comes and she goes, I have a message to you from your father. Yeah, that's where we're at now. She goes, um, I know 
what you were saying. To, uh, he, just so you know, he heard what you were saying when you were at his grave. So apparently my mom, when I was one, my grandfather died when we were five months old. Uh, yeah, I saw none of my grandparents, but <laughs> my grandfather died when, when, when we were five months old. We couldn't see the, the grandparents. So when we went to Egypt, we went to visit his grave. And she was crying at the grave saying things like, I hope you're proud of us. And, and then she, she basically started listing the things she was saying to him at the grave and, saying, and then saying his response to everything. Like, when you said this, he wanted you to know this. It's a freaking horror movie. Anyway, um, what happened after that is... Uh, then she said, your grandfather needs a favor. She's like, what's the favor? She's like, uh, please tell Samia. And, and obviously this woman doesn't know Arabic names. So she's like, Samia. She's like, please tell Samia that to forgive him. And it turns out that he disapproved of his son's marriage to this woman uh, because she was um, basically uneducated. She had a, a, a child from a previous marriage. This is really old times thinking. So it was like, so he kept saying this one thing in Arabic, which is, which a basic translation is, she is not up to standard. So Barbara's sitting in his office in Norwich, going, he just wants to know, he wants her to know that she is up to standard. Okay? So it's honestly, it got really, really, really freaking out. Obviously, I asked my mom, like, how did you feel about all this? She's like, it was, it was a very odd time because on one hand, you're comforted because you know that somebody's watching over you. But the other hand, it's very odd because it's very scary now that you're not alone or whatever. Uh, and she's obviously a very skeptical person. I'm still skeptical to this day. This is just a story that I'm just saying how I heard it. And I don't want anyone leaving here going, okay, that guy's a freak. I want people going, you know what? This is just a way to open up your mind. I, do I believe it? Maybe. Um, but the, the final straw was when... Um, we had these sensor lights in the garden, okay? And then one day the sensor lights just kept going off on their own. And there was no wind, there was no insects, there was nothing. Um, and then my mom would go out and check and there's no one there. So the next morning she's sitting in the office with Barbara. They're all sitting back to back. Uh, she's such a crazy bitch. Anyway, um, so then she goes, uh, seriously, Barbara's nuts. And then she looks and she's like, she's, her back to my mom, she goes, uh, so the sensor lights weren't working yesterday, huh? <laughs> ah. uh, at this point my mom went, ah! And then she was like, listen, Barbara, and she just went on a full rant. I never want to see your face again. No, please, I, whatever is going on, I don't ever want to hear it, okay? Please stop. I never want to hear this again, okay? That should have been the end of my story until I called my mom this morning because I wanted to, like, verify the facts, and I haven't heard this story in a while. Like, mom, is there anything I missed? She's like, yeah, you missed something. I'm like, what happened? She's like, a year ago, Barbara sent me a message on Facebook. Yeah, bitch-ass Barbara, right? <laughs> She goes, uh, and then she sends a message on Facebook, and she goes, hi, Emma. She didn't say Emmy, just not to freak her out. She goes, hi, Emma. I know I told you I'm not going to tell you anything again, but this is the last thing I'm going to say. She's like, I know that you got a divorce. So she did get a divorce from my dad three years ago. And I just want you to know that someone is very happy that you got this divorce, and your life is only going to get better from here. Yeah, that's the end of that story. Uh, yeah, so do you, guys, do you guys know the moral of the story? Anyone want to take a guess? Moral of the story? If you ever, ever meet a woman called Barbara, fucking run. Thank you. And uh, this story is actually about flying and traveling, which is something I love to do. Over like my studies, I went to the US, to the UK, I traveled like long flights and I used to love it, like either sleep or, 
work during my flights, do my homework, super productive, super relaxed. And I did not worry about anything. I think the, the only worry I had when traveling was the weight of my luggage and what I should pack. Um, and then COVID hit. And in the beginning of COVID, uh, Kobe Bryant died out of a, a helicopter accident. And that story affected me. I read a lot about it. And it's a helicopter. It's like nothing that I ride you know, every day. <laughs> But um, it had an impact on me that I did not actually absorb or realize until we started flying again after COVID. And my first flight after COVID, it was just to Jordan, so just a couple of hours, but it was so bad. <laughs> I got so scared and I realized that I'm, you know, developing a fear or feelings that I, I never felt before when flying. Um, and I started, like, my next flight, I completely, like, dreaded and I would, like, stay on my uh, toes the whole flight, I'm not comfortable. And I started even like developing these feelings like hours or a day, full day before the flight. Um, during just last summer, I was traveling to Cyprus with my fiance and some friends. And on the flight, I was saying that I'm not comfortable. I started, you know, reading Quran. I, I developed a lot of like coping mechanisms. So I usually have like Quran, a series downloaded, music on the side, the TV is on, so I'm watching the flight. Uh, one of the things that actually make me feel a bit comfortable is seeing the hostesses when they get up after takeoff. If I see them walking around, then I feel like relaxed that, okay, things are okay, so they got up. As if like, <laughs> that's going to change anything. So, and then during that flight, I was telling uh, Rami, my fiance, who's sitting, who's sitting in the back, I was telling him, Rami, this, this pilot is not good. I don't feel comfortable. I'm like, I finished the Quran, and he's like just laughing. It's like, Maryam, relax. Like, everything's fine. Don't worry. And then by coincidence, there was a hostess sitting next to me. Uh, she was not working. She was flying with us. And she was saying, actually, I'm a hostess, and this uh, pilot, It's not that good. And Rami was like, why did you just tell her that? <laughs> like, don't tell her that. And we, me and her like, had a conversation. She was saying, actually, you don't need to worry because I only worry when like, <laughs> the cabinets start to open. And now like, in every flight, I watch the cabinets and they're opening if there's turbulence. <laughs> and uh, it was actually not a, not a very good pilot, but we landed safely. And then I developed a new coping mechanism. And It is that I rate pilots now. Every single time I ride a plane, I, at, when I land, Rami and my family members get a message of a rating from 0 to 10 on how good he was. And I'm very like, skeptic of like, his takeoff, his landing, turbulence, even things that maybe you know, pilots don't have control of, like bumps. Like if, if the, if the uh, signal comes on that we have to, re to put our, our belts, I judge as this like, Two points down, <laughs> because he was not in control. <laughs> and every, every time they travel now, I ask for a rating. And the question that I always get back is, is it your, your standards of rating or normal standards of rating? <laughs> because <laughs> there's a huge difference. I think the irony in all of that is I have a job that requires me to travel every single week to KSA and back. So every single week on Sunday, And on Thursday, two pilots flying to and from Riyadh are being scrutinized by my rating. <laughs> um, and so 
I'm trying to get over my fear. That's the moral of the story. It came out of something, I think, unrealistic, like a helicopter accident while we ride these big planes. But if you do want to learn more about how to rate your pilots, I'm your girl. <laughs> Good night, everyone. I, I can definitely relate because I have a crazy fear of flying as well. So nobody's allowed to talk to me in the flight because if they talk to me, then the pilot can't concentrate. That's the logic I have. In the summer of 2017, I moved from Austin, Texas to Brooklyn, New York. Um, I moved because my word for the year was faith. And not the kind of faith that's like heavy with religious cliche and like, I will live through faith alone, not by my sights or anything like that, but just I want to take a leap of faith. I want to live through my intuition. I'm young. I only get to live once. I'm going to move across the country and see what that's like. I am a musician. I'm a poet. I'm a singer. I'm a rapper. I'm an actor. I'm an artist. So as you all probably know, New York being the birthplace of hip-hop, of jazz, of so much fashion, of so much innovation. I was like, I have to go. I just have to test my limits. I have to test myself as a human being um, and grow. I want to spread my wings. I want to see what happens if I do take a trust fall and collaborate with the universe. Uh, if you've been to the U.S. and you know anything about the areas there, Austin, Texas is real sweet. They're all about peace, love, and hippiness. They're a super receptive type of crowd to my brand of rap, which is very like light and like peace and spiritual oriented. Um, so I was comfortable in Texas and I had an awesome following and there were people there that were just super heart oriented and it was open. I got to be vulnerable on stage and I was like, okay, I'm comfortable, but I want to see what it's like if life gets a little harder. So I am moving into the section where I get exactly what I want. I took the plunge, I took the dive, and I moved to New York. Uh, a few weeks in and things were going pretty good. I uh, was sleeping on a friend's couch, but that's only because that's like in the top 10 things you have to do when you move to New York. I was marketing myself screen-printed shirts on Instagram, which yielded me like zero dollars in sales, but it did engage my audience. I was performing at open mics in Harlem and Bushwick, and even though I was paying like $10 just to sing a single song, I was also paying my dues, which is something that a rapper just has to do. So my money was slowly fading from my bank account and the better looking of my two pair of shoes back then gave away my financial predicaments instantly. But anyways, I was living, I was having fun and uh, one night after a free Princess Nokia concert in Central Park, uh, my friend and I, let's just call her Rosa, um, we were headed home and we bumped into these uh, two guys, the more outgoing of the two, let's just call him DJ Hank. 
Um, we lived on the same subway stop, and it turns out that this guy's like a super connected, uh, well-known DJ in the city. He knows a bunch of people, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this might be Kismet. This might be my chance to shine. This could be the person that introduces me to everybody, and I become a star. And so we went back to his place. We were sharing our art with each other. And I was like, all right, this is my time to prove myself to these two guys that we just met. Um, we were listening to my music on Spotify, my album on Spotify. And me and my friend Rosa were like jamming. And it was just like so cool to me as a human that another human knew my words and my lyrics. And I was just like still on that vibe, you know. Um, but like DJ Hank and his friends were a little more like nonchalant and just just taking it in, and uh, I wanted to be like, bam! These are my lyrics, they're like super intricate and well thought out and like A plus, you know? Like, they're so deep, you have to be like meditating to really understand them, my lyrics. So, DJ Hank had another interpretation. He's like, you know, um, <clears throat> it's good, yeah. It's good, uh-huh. Uh, the production's really good, yeah. But you know, uh, you, you don't sound black. Okay, yeah. And all of DJ Hank's bros were kind of nodding, same energy. All right, okay. Yeah, you know, um, you sound like Iggy Azalea. And me and my friend Rosa started laughing until we realized he was being serious. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, what about my music? Sounds like Iggy Azalea's music. I mean, neither of you sound black. Y'all both sound white. This should have been reason enough to write DJ Hank off as DJ whatever and move on with my life, but it's New York. I had moved there. I was along for the ride, and you have to dig through coal to find the diamonds. Plus, DJ Hank had a really awesome gig at the Brooklyn Annual Hip Hop Festival that he invited me to. I was going to have VIP experience. Cool. Okay. So the day came, and I showed up. I was really excited. I was hopeful. I was happy. Maybe this is going to be the event that people see me for who I am and I do amazing and so on and so forth, you know, success story. I had on one of my screen printed shirts and at the time my head was like half shaven and I had like a design in it and stuff. I had like a big old, a big old baggy jacket and I felt cool all except my shoes, which I couldn't do anything about. Um, <laughs> But uh, I also felt a little intimidated. I mean, the crowd was looking fresh to death. I saw this like audience was just littered with Timberlands and Jordans and snapbacks and everybody looking like I'm from Brooklyn. And like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm from Austin. I like smiling when I rap and, you know, singing about my heart. Uh, but the one thing that we had in common was hip hop. And it's... Uh, music that everybody could feel, but maybe this audience, it reflected their lives a little more, whereas I just listened to it and felt it. So there was a little bit of an intimidation factor going in. 
So um, regardless, I got to sit in the VIP section, and I sat next to um, this lady. Her name is Renee. She's like half of that 90s R&B duo called Jeanne. They sing the song like, hey, Mr. DJ. Do we know it? Everybody, move your body. Let's do it. Here is something that's gonna make you move and groove. Hey, DJ, you playing that song all night. On and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, so she performed, and it was fabulous and flawless, and the crowd was like, feeling it and the energy was so high and people felt unified she had these two adorable like preteen girls doing hip-hop dance and I was like all right this is who I'm following Woo! Um, so the next section was a cypher uh, if you know what a cypher is make some noise cypher okay in the hip-hop world it's basically imagine just a bunch of people standing in a circle and they take turns rapping that's, that's the basics of it. Um, but this was the summer, 2017, that one of the members of Mob Deep had died, Prodigy. Um, and so everybody was riding to the Shook Ones challenge. And if you don't know the Shook Ones instrumental, it's pretty, like, deep and heavy. And, like, I think one of the lyrics from the song is, rock you in your face break your brain with your nose bone or something super aggressive like that. So that was the instrumental that I was on stage with. I looked around and noticed I was the only female, not that rare in hip hop, but I was the only female. Uh, most of the men there were men of color and I just had this insecurity that like, ugh, what am I doing here? These people have more of a claim to this stage. Um, but nevertheless, I persisted and I went through with it, and I realized, like, this is what I moved here for. I moved here to grow. I moved here to spread my wings. I moved here to push myself out of my comfort zone and see what happened. So here's what happened. It, my turn to go came, and I had somebody recording me, and I got on stage, and I was like, all right, everybody. When I say we, you say free. Okay, let's practice that. We. We, ideal situation right there, okay? <laughs> what happened was this. We, And if you just imagine this serious hip-hop heavy crowd with arms folded, who is this person on stage? It was, it was not an easy one to win, and I was just like, what's wrong with this crowd? Until I realized that I, not only had I just educated them on how to do a call and response, but I immediately fudged it. So I said, all right, okay, I'm a freestyle now. I'm, I'm not bad at freestyling, okay, let me say that. When I'm in the flow, I can freestyle and it's amazing. But that day wasn't, I was not in the flow and it wasn't amazing. <laughs> It was super esoteric and un hard to follow, and I was just on there like shaking, like trying to pretend like I knew what was going on. And the Mob, mob Deep instrumental was playing, and everybody in the background was like, all right, when's it gonna be my turn? 
Um, but then, rest assured, my performance wasn't a total wash. I, I slipped into my verse from Sitting Pretty, which some of you in this audience might know, uh, which is a, a pretty good verse, if I say so myself, and it went surprisingly well with the beat. So I got into my flow, and I felt good, and uh, was smiling, and felt that joy of performing come back into me. And when I was done, I opened my eyes, and some of the people were engaged, and I was like, all right, success. So I walk off the stage, and the, um, the friend who was recording me was like, all right, rocky start, but you finished strong. I'm surprised. And I was like, thank you. So um, I felt really, really proud of myself, even if I was, you know, going into it and just coloring myself as a completely naive performer. I still felt proud of myself for sticking, sticking to the finish and doing it. Um, after the show, DJ Hank and I were making the rounds. We were meeting other artists, people who had helped uh, set up the festival. And we walked up to this, this lady, this older lady, uh, with a big crowd around her. And it turns out that she's like a big time manager and talent scout and everything. And I was excited. I was like, oh my gosh, hi. Um, did you get a chance to see my performance? She's like, yeah, yeah. I've got some words of advice for you. And I was like, oh, yes. I was like ready for the gold. I leaned in. She's like, <clears throat> um, you know, you should try running up bleacher stairs and rapping at the same time because you sounded a little out of breath. Mm, and I was like, thank you so much. Just thanking her profusely like she just given me the keys to a car so I could avoid the awkwardness and stifled laughs and like all right let's get out of here so we uh we walked the streets of brooklyn that night and met other well-established well-connected figures in the hip-hop scene and dj hank was so professional and charming and, and and his energy was just on and he's like if you just keep going it'll work out eventually don't stop and i had this realization it was the first time that it hit me like wait is this exactly what I want? And do I have this energy? Is this where my personality fits? And it was a, a good moment for me as an artist, even though I had received some pretty uh, hard to take feedback and criticism and had some less than dignified, comfortable experiences. It was still very useful. I with a bruised ego and shaken confidence, made my way back to my friend's couch to sleep, um, realizing that even though Austin, Texas had spoiled me, New York was definitely teaching me a new level of faith. Thank you. As a closing to the episode, please enjoy Hannah's song called Sitting Pretty. And if you want to check out more of her music, the links will be in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Sitting pretty, spitting witty still. The city suit, the gritty. I'm not empty, I'm just emptiness. The cages, they come and they go. Uh, uh, uh. Law and theories giving ways to my
So why would it ever stop? Perspective's merely metaphorical, mirror the miracle, more immortal. I report minority, immoral, deplorable. Don't deport me, regardless. I'm still retorting. Often I cannot, and often on a monogamy. I'm minimizing when I'm memorizing, and my mentimizing me. I'm finding blinding, mesmerizing, bright and shining. Now confining, could use a refresh, reboot, defrag the whole loop. Give back to make room. Take the rocket of my shoe. Now the rocket I'ma shoot. Take a trip, but don't pollute. Take a sip, don't chip your tooth. Casablanca, black or blue, hey kid. He's looking at you. Sitting pretty, spitting witty, still the city suit, the gritty. I'm not empty, I'm just emptiness. Oh, I'm sitting pretty, spitting witty, still the city suit, the gritty. I'm not empty, I'm just emptiness. Tickled pink, pickled me. How could it be that I could ever handle this so easily? I got that ambiguity. There's a joy. Is it mine? Is it yours? Days come cracking out. I'm aging. How? If all that's whipped up be and now, we are seeking vegan seed and be a weeding. Meat and feed and see as team and lovers singing. MC, who am I? Great ruler of the sky, nourishing my soil. Every time I cry, I believe in eternal life, and I love myself, so I'ma be just fine. So I believe. In 